Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. We're now going to be speaking with Dr. Neil Rao, infectious disease specialist, Halton Health in Ontario, assistant professor of medicine at the University of Toronto. We speak with Dr. Rao quite regularly. And a couple of things I want to address with him. One is the vaccine skepticism, which still, well, it exists, obviously. Uh, Is it time to take the skepticism head on? I think so. Vaccines? Please don't respond to this. Please, please don't send me 14-page emails. Please. But vaccines are the most logical and scientific protection from COVID and its mutations, the variants. Please. Also, Alberta's decision concerning the end of contact tracing and as of the 16th of August, no longer requiring to quarantine if testing positive for COVID. It's encouraged, but no longer required. And COVID's going to be treated as other communicable diseases are being treated. And that is getting some response from, well, the Alberta Medical Association president uh, from uh, doctors across this country. And Dr. Neil Rao is with us. How are you doing? Pretty good. Just pretty good? Well, I'm actually kind of happy with what Alberta did. I think it's going to lead the charge for the rest of the country, but people aren't ready to handle it yet, especially in Ontario. So would you expand on this? Because when I had Dr. St. John on the program, I said, at what point? At what point? Because we know, we know that COVID is it's going to be endemic. It's, it's going to be with us for probably forever in some form or another. But when will we know that it's time to treat it as another communicable health threat, as many jurisdictions in the United States are doing. When? So that's the open debate in Canada. When are we ready? Well, the goalposts kept moving. For a while, we said if 70% of people had even one dose of vaccine, it was time to start scaling back. Then we ended up saying maybe it should be 80%. Well, we've hit 80% when it comes to people over age 12 who received one dose of vaccine, and most of those people have even received two doses of vaccine. So that in and of itself is a very important milestone to achieve. But the other big thing is that what is happening in the UK, where they have essentially removed all the restrictions or almost all the restrictions, and you see lots of cases due to Delta, but very few hospitalizations and deaths. You see a decoupling. It's almost like the virus has been defanged once you have enough people vaccinated, which then raises the question, is this not just like the flu? So with the flu, we don't do contact tracing of people who are exposed to the flu and tell them to isolate at home just because they were exposed. With people who've been vaccinated, if they've been exposed to the virus, the argument is even if they've been exposed to the virus, the only reason you would quarantine them is to stop them from transmitting it to other people. If someone is vaccinated, at least until yesterday's news from the CDC, we argued that if someone is vaccinated, their chances of spreading to somebody else is very low. So therefore, the logical extension of that is that if they've been exposed but they can't really transmit much anyway why are we isolating them why are we making them quarantine i should say so that's the alberta logic if people who are vaccinated still can spread the virus you know at some point we just have to accept this is not stoppable because it's not sustainable to keep quarantining everyone the reason to try and control the spread of the virus is to prevent a surge on the healthcare system that's what flattening the curve was all about we keep forgetting the original goal of this whole exercise if the healthcare system isn't overwhelmed when we let the virus go, so to speak, then why are we doing all of this? We have to live with it. We have to protect the vulnerable groups. We have to revaccinate certain groups of people who are vulnerable if they're in long-term care, 
if they have immunosuppressive conditions. But going after all of society with blanket approaches where we tell everybody to stop doing everything is no longer practical. Many places in the U.S. have moved away from that. There was a, a news story I, I heard a little earlier, and I actually wrote down the quote. I can't find it. Because I write things on pieces of paper when I hear it during the show, and then, of course, I can't find the piece of paper when I need it. But it's, the essentials of the news story were this, or was this, that in the U.K., and they've opened up their society, the British society, particularly in England, uh, dramatically over the last number of weeks, in the face of the Delta variant. And they have found, and I think this is the, oh, this is the most recent news because it ran today. I don't know what the date parameters were. But they have found a leveling off of cases. That was a concern that the Delta variant's presence was just going to see a, uh, I don't want to use the word skyrocketing, but an increase, a significant increase in cases. And yet, the news story said we're seeing things leveling off. And same with India. Everyone thought it was going to be a rocket ship as well, and it also went up dramatically. There was a rocket ship for a while. Yeah, and then it went and it went down. So a lot of these things go up and down, despite what we do or don't do. I'm not saying the vaccine is useless by, by any means. It's very good that we did 80 percent. If we can get a few more people vaccinated, especially those who work in, in congregate close settings, that's great. But after a while, a lot of the other things we do, the masking, especially the community masking, the trying to chase down people, contact tracing, these things don't really work. Plus, contact tracing, once you have tons of cases, Public health is overwhelmed. They can't even do it. You remember that contact tracing app that was supposed to work? It I never do. worked. So there's lots of these silver bullets that failed. And it's time for a sober second thought, a realization that Delta is not the next, la- next and last variant we're going to see. COVID cannot become COVID zero, as some people, dreamers, used to believe was the case. We are going to have to live with COVID as a respiratory virus with different reincarnations not just each year, but probably two or three times a year, you're going to see a new one. And so we can't always be ahead of this. We can't have a vaccine that's perfect. If you give a booster, it's not going to give you 100% protection, but it'll give substantial protection. 90% of people are kept out of the hospital against Delta, even with the Delta rather than the COVID classic circulating now. And we're going to have to accept the transmission is not completely stopped by vaccinating people and therefore running around and trying to test people to look for the virus when it comes to traveling, when it comes to just in general, won't make sense. Maybe when it comes to people working in long-term care, if you have a vulnerable population that's not immune, we might have to do periodic testing of people even if they're vaccinated. But that's a very select circumstance. We don't have to do this for everyone. So let me ask you this. Are you in the minority when it comes to this, um, this position? In, in the uh, medical community, I'm going to do a segment tomorrow uh, with another medical guest, and we call it the intersection of health and politics. Uh, are you in the minority when it comes to this point of view, or do you think that uh, the numbers of doctors who feel as you do uh, are, are increasing, and do you think the doctors who feel this way are going to become more vocal than they have been in the past? Well, I know I'm in the minority still, but I do think this minority is growing. I used to joke it was like a political party, as the NDP party is the People's Party of Canada. Well, I used to hear from people saying, what are you putting Rao on the air for? All he does is talk about th- things that, you know, he, he's negative about, about what we yeah. need to do. And I said, well, because he is an infectious diseases specialist, and he has a point of view, and he creates, I think you, you present very thought-provoking arguments, and that's why, we, that's why I'm glad you're on the show. Uh, that's good of you to say it. Well, I know it's not a popular opinion I hold, but if you look at what Alberta is doing, they're essentially adopting exactly the values that I wrote in December 2020 with Joan Robinson, who's another infectious disease I remember. in Alberta, 
and with Nicole Lasso, another infectious disease specialist from Ottawa. So there are a number of us who have this view. I think one problem I see in the media coverage is that those who are on Twitter get quoted the most. It's almost like free advertising for them. And I see a laziness of many media outlets in terms of just looking for people who are available on Twitter to put on air. We need to look for other people who are quieter in terms of not having this Twitter profile, running their own free advertising, and see what they have to say. And what's interesting is a lot of people who have my view are scared to say it because they will face a calumny on social media. And that's not good when scientific discourse is silenced like that. But Alberta has come right out front and center, and essentially Dina Hinshaw has said stuff that's essentially what I've been saying on the show for the last four months, and has said, we're going this route. We're treating this like a normal respiratory virus. And yet, look at the opposition we're seeing, but mainly from people who are on Twitter. There are a whole bunch of people in Alberta who think this is a good idea. I mean, she's not a minority in Alberta. I doubt it. Dr. Rao, you're vaccinated. I'm vaccinated. But there are people who believe that vaccines are part of a, a terrible plot to turn the world around, to take away personal freedoms. I keep trying to remind them that there was a, there was a massive pandemic in 1918, but it doesn't do any good. Would you please take on, I don't know what you're going to say. I didn't ask you what you're going to say. Take on the issue of vaccine skepticism, please. Well, I think the saddest part of the skepticism that I saw was the belief that mRNA vaccines would somehow invade your body and take over your cellular machinery. So it's sort of a quasi-scientific argument, and of course it's not true. Uh, the other part that I thought was concerning was that many people kept focusing on the, the anti-vaxxer types, focused on the fact that case numbers kept going up, but they ignored the fact that the deaths and hospitalizations actually went down once we started vaccinating. And also, a lot of people forgot about the fact that the long-term care uh, uh, homes were really protected during the subsequent waves, wave two and three, because of the vaccine, because we brought them into those arms in the right, in the, as fast as possible. So I think the saddest thing I've seen, which is partly driven by media coverage, is that people look at case counts going up despite vaccination and say, aha, the vaccine doesn't work. So maybe if the media were to stop covering case counts so much and to focus more on the benefits of the vaccines in terms of the harder endpoints, we wouldn't run into this kind of uh, semi-scientific argument, which which uh, you know can, can seem appealing, but it's not true. So how much of a split of opinion is there in the medical profession? Because I can guarantee you, after my conversation with you today, I'm going to be sent a whole series of uh, links to YouTube and other audio and visual presentations of people who are either in the health profession or associated with the health profession saying the vaccines are dangerous, don't use them, don't do this, don't do that. Um, How much of a split of opinion is there in the healthcare profession about the efficacy of vaccines? I think amongst healthcare professionals, uh, physicians, there's an almost uniform support for vaccines. Amongst nursing staff, what I've seen is that maybe 20% of people or allied health professionals, maybe 20% of people don't believe in them uh, as much. But I think that what started to happen is that in healthcare, it's going to be mandatory to get a vaccine anyway. So whether you like it or not, you're going to get it. We can talk about whether such policies are a good thing or a bad thing. I prefer carrots to sticks. I also prefer that when you have a lot of people already vaccinated, that you try to encourage the remaining group to be vaccinated rather than force them, because we've already done all the heavy lifting. I mean, in healthcare, uh, 80 
80% plus people have also had the vaccine, maybe even higher than in the general population, 90%. So what are you gaining by coercing people? When it comes to the question of people not being allowed into businesses or in, into uh, or being allowed to travel because they've got the vaccinated, you run into a sort of a show-me-your-paper society, which scares me more. Travel traps is separate, but at least you don't want a situation where every time you go somewhere, you go to a restaurant, go into a business, go to Canadian Tire, whatever, that you have to show your papers. I don't think that's a good thing. Once you have a lot of the population vaccinated, you know, for every person you ask, right now, only one out of five won't be vaccinated anyway. So you're going through a lot of effort to find a very small percentage of people who aren't vaccinated. And if there's not a lot of local disease anyways... What are you achieving? If it's in the middle of an outbreak, but it's a long-term care facility, then it becomes kind of relevant to ask those questions. But if it's summer season, no disease, and you're asking people who are just going to a general store, the return on investment for those efforts isn't really worth it. There's a whole administration of it as well. I, I think it's a concern. There's a civil liberty side to this as well. I know you've had the lawyers talk about this before as well. Yeah, we have. You know, I'm not and you, have to, you, you know what's going on in France as well. Oh yes, the protests exactly. And so the problem is, but they, but but Macron has said if you if you're not if you don't if you're not vaccinated or can't provide a negative test by tomorrow, August first, you're not going to be getting into a, a lot of public places or private malls, large malls. You will not be allowed to enter. And after that, after that declaration, there were protests in the streets. But after that, 3.7 million people in France signed up for vaccines immediately. But their vaccine uptake rates were a lot lower than ours were. So hopefully we don't follow suit when we've already got 80% of people vaccinated. Yeah. You know, so when, when we talk about these happen. vaccine passports, and Doug Ford's being urged now to uh, follow Manitoba's lead on that, but there has to be, if they were if they were to be introduced, I only have a few seconds here, but if they were to be introduced, I would want them introduced with an end date. I would agree with that. And also, what about boosters? And are you gonna make well, it that's the question. What do you work? say? Okay, in the few seconds we have left, what do you say to boosters, yay or nay? Yay for a very small group of people, but I don't think we can vaccinate the whole population of Canada all over again. This is a one-time deal. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend. 